Thanks for joining us on this week's episode where we watch and discuss the Best Picture nominees from the 6th Academy Awards. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. Let's find out if the Oscars got it wrong. All right. We're in the 30s. It's 1933 this year. It's early in the 30s. This is the sixth Academy Awards. Yeah, that's early days. They were really still figuring out what the Academy Awards would be. And I would say still figuring out what movies were going to be, which is interesting. Yes, I will agree with that. Let's do what we usually do. Let's figure out what's happening. Where are we in the world? What's going on? Good stuff? Nothing good, basically. Nothing good is happening. You might be familiar with the fact that the 30s are deep in the heart of the Great Depression. So that's happening. Mm -hmm. And in America, we were experiencing dust bowls out in the, you know, Midwest Plain States. So exciting times for them. If you've seen, you know, or read Grapes of Wrath or anything about the Great Depression, it's that. That's happening now. Or if you saw our... 1976 Best Picture nominee, that Woody Guthrie movie was called. Oh, as soon as you mentioned it, the name's gone right out of my head. Born something? Born to Run? <laughs> it was not Born to Run. It's definitely not what Born to what Run. What's that movie called? Bound for Glory. Bound for Glory is what it's called. Good one. Yeah, there's there's a. <laughs> Dust storms that. But in in better news, FDR gets sworn in. So we're yes. going to start addressing the Great Depression, which is pretty important. He at least important. was trying to do some stuff about the problems. So yes. That's good. All the big events of his first 100 days. We get yep. some fireside chats. He's trying to reassure us. He's telling us we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And he was so right, except that we also had something else to fear. <laughs> but we'll get to that in a second. Yes. Also in domestic news. Prohibition ends. So the 21st Amendment. Mm -hmm. In international news, this is the year that Hitler gets appointed Chancellor of Germany and later in the year becomes just straight up dictator of Germany. So yeah, things are really going downhill fast in Germany. As you work through this year, it's like hit after hit of, oh, no. Yeah, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. Yes. In in other news related to a future war, Japan leaves the League of Nations. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're pulling away from the internationalism. Yeah, that short-lived League of Nations. Also, because of the upcoming war, this is the year that Albert Einstein immigrates to the United States. And he, of course, becomes known for all of his various things he does, but contributes to the American and allied war effort as well. Mm-hmm. The Manhattan Project. Yeah, contributes positively or negatively, you be the judge. (laughs) Okay, but we do have a couple of fun things because it's been pretty heavy so far. Yes, in huge news, this is the year of the first singing telegram. What's not to love about that? Not sure why they went out of style, if I'm being honest. Monopoly, the board game gets invented this year. Yep, and they were trying to make a game that would teach you how bad capitalism is, but boy, did it not work that way. No. Other fun stuff. The first drive-in theater happens this year in the great state of New Jersey. And one last piece of cool news. This was the year that Wiley Post was the first person to fly solo around the world. Huge news. Yeah, pretty cool. cool. We also learned that Wiley Post was a Native American, a thing I did Mm -hmm. not know. So the first person to fly solo around the world. Well, we learned a lot because of this. We also learned because of that, that Will Rogers, who we'll be talking about later today, was also Native American and that the two of them died together in a plane crash in Alaska. Yeah. Just a couple years later, I think it was in 35. So that's sad. Sad. But this year, it's cool. Cool news. Cool, plain, Wiley Post news. Yes. So let's discuss the top five highest grossing movies of the year so you can get a sense of what was going on at the time. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting list. (laughs) Number one is Roman Scandals. Two, I'm No Angel. Three is Gold Diggers of 1933. Four, She Done Him Wrong. And five, Tugboat Annie. Great year for Mae West. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Number four on that list, She Done Him Wrong, is a nominee this year. Mm -hmm. The rest of them... 
Well, I'm No Angel is also a Mae West movie. Yeah, true. The rest of them, though, mostly a mystery to me. Yeah, I don't know what they are. In terms of notable things happening in film this year, we have a a number of things, a couple around the Academy Awards themselves. So this is the last year that the nominees for Academy Award were not from a single calendar year. So six and previous, they were like halfway through parts of the year and halfway through other parts of the year. And they decided we should get on a calendar year schedule. Yeah, that feels pretty confusing. Yeah. The nominees this year stretch from August of 32 to the end of 1933. Yep. Also this year is the last year of what is technically the pre-code era of Hollywood filmmaking. So we should talk a little bit about the Hayes Code, because I feel like we've referenced it in other episodes, but we haven't really talked in depth about what it is. Yes. So the Hayes Code starts to become rigidly enforced in 34. Basically, there was a Supreme Court case that determined that films were not free speech, and the movie industry got real nervous <laughs> that mm-hmm. the U.S. government was going to come in and start regulating them for decency. So they decided to get ahead of what could have been a potential problem and institute their own set of, quote unquote, decency regulations, which is and what the Hayes Code is. wild. That They're named after Will Hayes, who was president of the motion picture producers and distributors of America for like 23 years or something. And it's just this list of things that you were not allowed to do if you wanted your movie to be screened in theaters in America. And it's a fascinating list. You should look it up. We're not going to yeah. read all of them because it's a lot of rules. It is. But before they were they were being vigilantly enforced in 1934, we were in what is called the pre-code era when you could sort of There were like guidelines that you were supposed to be following, but you could sort of get away with more because it wasn't specifically being enforced yet. So there's some interesting stuff in these movies that you wouldn't have seen two years later. Yeah, I don't have a lot of experience watching pre-code films, so I thought this overall was a pretty interesting experience to see what filmmakers were doing before the enforcement. So that's... On the horizon, I guess. And then our final piece of, of news, this is just a fun story from the Academy Awards. This particular Academy Awards, so the six, Will Rogers, as we mentioned before, was the host. And he had a little bit of a mix-up. Uh-huh. So as we will mention when we get through the nominees, there were three nominees for Best Director this year. Frank Lloyd, Frank Capra, and George Cukor. And when announcing the Best Director winner, Will Rogers simply said, come up and get it, Frank. (laughs) Oh, Will. (laughs) And Frank Capra was sure that he had won, so he runs up to go get it, but it actually had gone to Frank Lloyd, who directed Cavalcade. Yeah. And then because it was awkward and funny, Will Rogers just invited George Cukor up on stage too. (laughs) And they were all on stage. So embarrassing, but like, I feel like that's on Will Rogers, not Frank Capra. (laughs) No. Yeah, that's definitely Will Rogers' fault, but hilarious nonetheless. So we're not going to give you our usual rundown of all the stats about the movies yet, Mm -hmm. because this is a year of many nominees, so we're going to have to talk about how we're handling that. We're going to do a bracket sort of similar to our 39 episode, if you listen to Mm -hmm. that, but we'll get into the structure in a minute. We will talk about, though, what won? Cavalcade, everyone's favorite, the most famous movie of all time, Cavalcade, that I'm sure we don't have to say anymore because you've all seen yeah, it, right? We all know Cavalcade. Cavalcade. What was our general consensus at the time about Cavalcade? So we couldn't find too much about this Academy Awards in terms of whether or not people were scandalized or, or not. It was a commercially successful film, so, mm-hmm. you know. People liked it. We did also read that it was reportedly Adolf Hitler's favorite film. So make of that little piece of information what you will. Fascinating. I will say maybe it was beloved or maybe it was tolerated. Who's to say at the time since we couldn't find a lot about that. But at this point in time, the historical consensus has, I guess, turned a bit on Cavalcade. And you now find it often on lists of worst best picture winners. Mm -hmm. So... An interesting ride for Cavalcade. Yep. Before we get into the list, there are a million nominees this year, but perhaps something else should have been nominated that wasn't. So the way we usually talk about that is box office, which we already went through, 
we don't know any of those other movies, so we're probably fine with them not being nominated. And then we get to cultural impact and and like best of AFI top 100 lists. And there yes. are not one, but two 1933 films on that list. Mm-hmm. And neither of them is nominated. No, those two films are King Kong and Duck Soup. You may have heard of both of them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we felt it was only fair to add those into our list this year mm-hmm. so we're going to do a not quite bracket sort of a mini bracket where we do our normal seeding process with rotten tomato scores ties broken by number of reviews and then we're doing just we have 12 because there were 10 nominees plus these two so we'll do the one seed versus 12 two versus 11 Etc. We'll talk about the six losers of those matchups this episode and talk about the winners in a part two. And similarly to all of our other bracket episodes, we're going to go through the matchups. We'll each say what we think our winner is. If we disagree, we'll discuss a little bit, come to consensus, and then get more in depth in this episode and the next one with our discussions of these winners and losers. Okay. So shall we go through our process here? Let's tell the people the information about our first matchup. Okay, so our number one seed for this year is Lady for Day, a comedy about an impoverished woman whose friends rally around her to trick her daughter's fiance into believing she is a wealthy woman. It stars Mae Robson, Warren William, and Guy Kibbe. It was directed by Frank Capra, written by Robert Riskin. It was nominated for three and won zero, including not winning Best Director. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Frank Capra. And that will be facing off against our number 12 seed, Smiling Through, a drama about a young couple who fall in love before World War II and are kept apart by the woman's uncle. It stars Norma Shearer, Frederick March, and Leslie Howard. It was directed by Sidney Franklin, written by Donald Ogden Stewart and Ernest Vajda, and was nominated for one, and it won zero. So, on three... We say what we think one. Sure. Okay. One, two, two three. three. Lady for a day. day. Yay. Yay. Okay. So our loser is smiling through. We'll talk about this in a minute. All Excellent. right. Our next matchup is our number two seed, State Fair, a dramedy about a family that goes to the State Fair. It stars Janet Gaynor and Will Rogers. It's directed by Henry King, written by Sonia Levian and Paul Green. Nominated for two, it won zero. And it faces off against our 11 seed, Cavalcade, a drama about an upper-class British family experiencing history around the turn of the 20th century. It stars Diana Wynyard and Clive Brooke. It was directed by Frank Lloyd, written by Reginald Berkeley and Sonia Levian, again. Mm. Nominated for four, it won three, Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Art Direction. Okay. One- Two, three, state, state fair. fair. Okay. Two for two. Two for two. Okay. So we'll talk about Cavalcade later. Third matchup. Third seed is King Kong, an adventure film about a film director who discovers a giant ape. It stars Faye Ray, Robert Armstrong, and Bruce Cabot. It's directed by Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Shodzak. Written by James Creelman and Ruth Rose, it was nominated for zero. And that will face our 10 seed, Little Women, an adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's novel about a family during the Civil War. It stars Joan Bennett, Francis D., Jean Parker, and Catherine Hepburn. Directed by George Cukor, written by David Hempstead, it was nominated for three, and it won one, Best Adaptation. All right. One, two, three... King King Kong! Kong. (laughs) Hooray! Okay. Our next matchup is 42nd Street, our fourth seed, a drama about putting on a musical. It stars Warner Baxter, B.B. Daniels, George Brent, Ruby Keeler, and Ginger Rogers. It was directed by Lloyd Bacon, written by Ryan James and James Seymour. It was nominated for two, and it won zero. And it will face the nine seed, She Done Him Wrong, a drama about a strong-willed woman in the 1890s navigating the underworld of New York City. It stars Mae West and Cary Grant, directed by Lowell Sherman and written by Harvey F. Thu and John Bright. It was nominated for one Academy Award and it won zero. One, two, 
42nd Street. <laughs> this is going so well. It is. Next matchup. Our number five seed, I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang, a drama about a soldier who returns from World War I and becomes a fugitive from a chain gang. Stars Paul Muni, directed by Mervyn Leroy, written by Howard J. Green and Brown Holmes. It was nominated for three and it won zero. And that will face number eight, Duck Soup a comedy about a fictional country that selects a non-politician leader, and hijinks ensue. It stars the Marx Brothers, Groucho, Chico, Harpo, and Zeppo, directed by Leo McCary, written by Bert Kalmar, Harry Ruby, Arthur Sheikman, and Nat Perrin. It was nominated for zero Academy Awards. All right. One, two, three. I am a fugitive from a chain gang. <laughs> Okay, and then our final matchup is our number six seed, The Private Life of Henry VIII, a comedy about Henry VIII and his many wives. It stars Charles Lawton and Robert Donat. It's directed by Alexander Corda, written by Lejeune Biro and Arthur Wimperis. It's nominated for two and it won one Best Actor for Charles Lawton. And our number seven seed is A Farewell to Arms, an adaptation of the Ernest Hemingway novel about a soldier who falls in love with a nurse in World War I. It stars Helen Hayes, Gary Cooper, and Adolphe Manjou, directed by Frank Borzage, written by Benjamin Glazer and Oliver H.P. Garrett. It was nominated for four, and it won two, Best Cinematography and Best Sound Recording. All right. One, two, three... A farewell to We disagree. <laughs> this is the one that I was most on the fence about, so this should be. I agree. And interestingly enough, right, this is six v seven, so these are yeah. pretty close. And in all the other matchups, the top seed came out the winner. So that's true. The seeding system has worked this year for it the really most has. part. Okay, I'm happy to start with why I chose yeah, a farewell sure. to arms. I think. Both of these movies are pretty problematic and in, in uh, kind of similar ways. I just thought A Farewell to Arms was really beautifully shot. And I think I liked the performances a little bit better. And so, yeah, I think just with the filmmaking, I thought A Farewell to Arms was a little bit stronger. What tipped you towards Private Life of Henry VIII? I will say... Neither of them did I love. Sure. I thought that A Farewell to Arms is trying to be a beautiful novel adaptation and it's leaning hard into the romance. But I just left that movie thinking like, eh, what was the point? Like there's a lot of melodrama and it wasn't making any real statements about the war, I think, because they're leaning into the romance of it. But then mm -hmm. the romance is fine, I guess. And Henry VIII obviously is insane. <laughs> like, yes. It's saying crazy shit about everyone involved in this situation. But I just found it more entertaining to watch, I think. I mean, it was it was not silly nonsense, but Charles Lawton ended up pretty fun by the end for me. And there were like goofy comedy scenes that I couldn't believe were being comedy scenes in a movie about this. I did read that it was interestingly trying to make statements about Germany and politics of the day, which is another weird thing to be throwing okay. into your Henry VIII movie, because I guess they changed a lot of historical things that Henry VIII was doing to be about Germany. There's statements they're making about Britain's view of itself as the one that needs to make Germany and France be at peace because of their views about the Treaty of Versailles being too, you know, aggressive towards Germany. Okay. I did not pick up on any of that. That's uh, No, I read about it after and I was like, okay, this is at least sort of interesting. <laughs> I don't really, I'm not sure the film is super successful, but it is trying to make some statements about things that I thought was interesting. And I guess I just was like, it's insane, but I, there were parts of it that I liked. <laughs> and that's where I came out. Whereas mostly with the Feral Arms, I was kind of bored. Okay. I'm fine to put through a, the private life of Henry VIII and keep our our pattern of the higher seed winning. Rolling. Hell yeah. Seeds one through six, you're going to the next round. And we'll talk about a farewell to arms in this episode. Yeah. Okay. So that leaves us to talk about, in this episode, Smiling Through, Cavalcade, Little Women, She Done Him Wrong, Duck Soup, and A Farewell to Arms. 
Should we just go Indeed in that order? it does. Yeah, why not? So that's going to be from the 12th seed to the 6th. So we'll hopefully be getting better as we – or the 7th, I guess. I'm not sure that's along. true. I don't know that that's true either. <laughs> okay. Okay. Smiling uh, through. So, smiling through. What a weird little movie this was. Should we give the plot overview? Can I – actually, can I read the Amazon? I read this yes, to you. Yes, please do. And then we will give the actual plot overview. But on Amazon, they have decided this <laughs> – plot summary this is one of my favorite plot i mean sometimes like streaming services just summarize things in absolutely bananas ways so the the plot summary of smiling through on amazon is john has raised his fiance's niece kathleen has his own but when she falls in love with an american the murderer's son the past sweeps back to haunt the present (laughs) The murderer's son, you might be saying. You haven't mentioned a murder. Who got murdered? Is it like an unrelated murderer's son? (laughs) No, not. So this is a movie that is told in two time periods. Mm -hmm. It starts with this cranky, lonely old man who doesn't want anyone around him for various reasons that will become clearer as the movie goes on. And his friend comes to him and tells him that the sister of his dead fiance has died and left a little girl who needs to be raised and they want him to raise her because hopefully it will bring him out of his misanthropic shell. So he ends up taking in this little girl. He raises her. By the time she gets to be an adult, she meets this guy randomly when she's hiding from a storm with her sort of boyfriend in a abandoned mansion. Sparks fly with the guy when she meets him. And so they're sort of having this romance and it comes out that the guy is the son of the man who murdered the fiance Mm -hmm. uh, back in the day. And so the uncle is like, you can't be with that murderer's son. I'm sure he has murderer in his blood or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So she ends up having to see him in secret. And the two of them are in love. It progresses. They want to be together. The uncle still won't allow it. And then finally it culminates with him. His heart is moved. He gives her his blessing. She goes off to be with the guy. And then by the time she comes back with the guy, he has died <laughs> because he is now at peace from having given his blessing to and the can girl. go off to heaven with his dead fiance. <laughs> it's probably worth noting, too, this movie takes place during World War One, So there's this looming presence of the war and the young man is come to England from America to go fight in the war. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts about Smiling Through? I actually quite like this movie. This was one of the stronger matchups for me. I thought there were cool special effects. I don't, mm-hmm. I guess I partially I don't agree. know what people were capable of, of in 1933, but I thought the ghosts look cool. And also when they're in the storm, a tree gets hit by lightning. And I don't quite know how they did that, but I thought it looked mm-hmm. good. You know, we talk a lot, I, I think, on this podcast about romances and films and I did find the scenes in them falling in love pretty believable. They have that moment of attraction and then their initial flirting is really cute and it felt right. So the young man also goes off to war right and when he comes back he's quite injured. He's His legs have been super injured and he refused to marry the girl before he went off to war and now he doesn't want to see her because she'll see him as this broken man. They have what I thought was a really well-acted scene where she comes to him and he's pretending that he just doesn't love her anymore. It was very love affair, affair to remember Yes, which is funny because one of the screenwriters on this, Donald Ogden Stewart, co-wrote Love Affair. And I, I just, is this what he contributes to scripts? <laughs> this well, is that this makes me thing. wonder, did this happen to you, Donald Ogden Stewart? I don't know. But I did think that was well-acted. I think There's a couple of main problems with this movie. One is, I think at the end, the movie loses the thread of what we care about. So, you know, the uncle has been terrible and it's really irrational that he's like, you kids can't be together. But he eventually gives his blessing. And then she goes off after they've had this whole scene where he's like, I can't love you. And we don't see their actual reconciliation because we're busy watching the uncle die and go be a ghost with Munin, his (laughs) fiance. And I'm like, no, I, I now care about the the kids more you've you've lost the part of the story that i'm invested in so you don't get the catharsis that you're looking for with their reconciliation and you also don't get the uncle apologizing to the young man for being so irrational and i'm like this is yeah. missing the end beat that i really need from this movie the end was just wrong all i could think was as he's laying there dying i was like and now 
she and her guy she's in love with are going to come back to you to have this wonderful reconciliation event that they need to have. And she's just going to walk in on her father figure's dead body. (laughs) (laughs) You have have intentionally ruined this moment for her. (laughs) Why would you do this? Right. I don't understand. It's double terrible. Again, we don't see their reconciliation where the kids are like, oh, now we can be together. And she tells them, like, I don't care that your legs are damaged. That whole thing is not in the movie at all. We don't see the apology. But then also, I guess that's traumatic for her to come home and he's just dead. And she. (laughs) That's all I could think about as I was like, well, now this is going to be a horrible memory for her. (laughs) The day that she got together with this guy that she loves is just going to be horrible. Yeah. And it it makes it feel bad because it's it doesn't feel like, you know, if people die, it's usually not in their control. It feels like he has chosen to die in this moment. And I was like, you couldn't wait another day so that you could meet her fiance and be like, you're a good guy. I think this is all fine. (laughs) Yeah, he was like, "Mm, I'm out. Okay, it's fine. Now I can go be in heaven. Yeah, so the ending kind of kind of misses the mark, I would say. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, the other thing I did like about this movie is they keep having the buildings rumble throughout the movie. And I like that little touch of the constant intrusion and reminder that the war was happening. But yeah, other than the ending, there are really gothic elements throughout this. You have a creepy old house and you have ghosts and, you know, there's a murder. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. this this movie would be cool if you remade it. And it would have to, I think, be extended to have more mystery elements because basically... The uncle lays out really early on exactly what happened (laughs) to the fiance. Yeah. And there's some hints that the young man might be kind of creepy because he talks about like, I came by and I was looking through your windows and you're like, weird. Maybe he is got murderous intent or he wants revenge and it doesn't play out that way at all. So I think there's also a cooler more gothic mystery horror story in here that is is not what this movie is but how did you feel about it i agree with you for the most part i think maybe i liked it a little bit less than you but you know marginally i thought you're right the romance does work i think the two of them have chemistry i loved how chill the guy that she was dating at the time was about this whole thing yeah (laughs) like like there's a moment when they're all coming back from war and she's waiting for the man she's in love with to come back but she happens to run into the old ex-boyfriend and he's just sort of like hey how you doing i'm good are you waiting for that guy you're in love with now awesome hope he's good like (laughs) you're like he was this cool. guy's great. I think where it doesn't work for me is obviously the ending, but throughout, you don't understand the uncle being so ridiculous about this. And I think you're right. If they had made it more mysterious, it might have played better. That could have been really cool if he wasn't really telling you what happened and he just for some reason was like, I have a bad feeling about that guy. And <laughs> mm-hmm. you're like, why? And like maybe if they'd met each other, that never happens. It yeah. could have been interesting if they'd met and he was like, I don't think you should be with this guy. And then you it played out more reasonably because the way that it is you're just sort of like this guy's an asshole who cares what he has to say he just it's crazy to hate somebody because he's the son of a guy that you didn't like from the past and you're like it's really unacceptable (laughs) yeah so that part i think just annoyed me all the way through but there were some fun moments i really like when they meet each other and they have the bonding over the port wine and Mm -hmm. it's very cute can we talk about the fact that the dead fiance is named Moonin? Yes, it's a very strange name. Moonin. Moonin. Why is she named Moonin? I don't know. I tried to Google to see the origin of the name, and it seems to come from this story. Fascinating. Which is strange. Although I did think it would be a cute name for a cat. Well, that's fair. <laughs> it could be a cute name for a cat. Moonin. So, yeah, I mean. The love affair thing is interesting. I love that you looked up that it's the same guy. That's fascinating. Because the scene is very similar. It is. Because in love affair, she's sitting on a couch and just can't get up. And then in this, he's standing, but he's sort of like leaning against a desk and he can't move. And then she's like, we should sit down. And he's like, oh, not over there. Right here. <laughs> he just move. And like the, the blocking. This was Donald similar. Ogden Stewart's thing. Yeah. Oh, I wrote down part of why I'm extra mad about the end. When the uncle has given her permission to go off and be with the guy and she's so happy about it and she's like, great, he needs like, because she's found out that he was injured in the war, which Mm -hmm. is what he hasn't told her. So she's like, oh my God, he knows, he should know that I will still love him and and I'll take care of him. And then she says to her uncle, we're going to take care of him, aren't we? (laughs) And then the uncle straight up (laughs) dies intentionally. (laughs) 
I was mad. I was real mad about it. It was there was like some melodrama in it that was a little much, particularly yeah. in the old history storyline of it with Moon Yin dying. Although there was some fun inherent drama to the way that she got murdered. I did like yeah, shot at her she wedding. Straight up walked into the wedding with a gun. <laughs> I'm telling you, in a more gothic mystery like that reveal, oh my gosh. Yeah, you're right. The elements are there for this to be a better movie than it was. Yeah. Moonyin. 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 <laughs> what? Are you saying that's not a That's not a name. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, man. Smiling through. I did really like, I wrote that I liked how her ghost looked. It was the cool. ghost effects were cool. Yeah. yeah. She's like translucent. Yeah. Anything else? No, no. I don't think it's okay. the worst watch, but yeah, there's there's like a better movie in this movie. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Okay, our next one is Little Women. Little Women is an adaptation of the Louisa May Alcott novel, Little Women. Mm-hmm. It is about yep. a family that is made up of a mom, a dad, and four daughters. During the Civil War, the dad has gone off to war. He's a Union soldier. Yeah, yeah, boy, they're from the north, baby. <laughs> so that's good. And it's just sort of the story of their lives as they grow up from adolescence into womanhood. You've mm-hmm. got four daughters, Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy. Meg is the oldest and the most invested in being a proper lady. Yep. Joe is a tomboy and a writer. Beth is a homebody and ends up being kind of sickly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and plays piano. She's a musician. She is. And Amy loves art and is just, you know, the youngest. So she's rambunctious and ends up growing up. They befriend their neighbor, Lori, who falls in love with Joe. Meg ends up falling in love with Lori's tutor. They get married. Right after they get married, Lori confesses his love to Joe. And she's like, I can't love you. And that's real hard for Lori. Joe ends up going to New York City to live more of a life. She ends up meeting an older professor while she's there. They end up together. Lori ends up marrying Amy and Beth unfortunately dies. And that's sort of the story of Little Women. It's a bummer. Poor Beth. Yeah. I will say, I think this role makes sense for Catherine Hepburn to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Because Joe's character is all about, like, I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be contained. I want to make my own decisions. And I like to wear pants and I'm going to cut my hair. And it's just Catherine Hepburn being like, everybody needs to do what I want. And you're like, that works for me, Catherine Hepburn. That feels like you. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward Little Women adaptation. I feel like you know what you're going to get when you watch this and you get it. Yeah. Have you read this book before? I feel like I've asked you this, but I can never remember. I think I've read part of it. I don't know that I've ever read the whole thing. Okay. I have not read this book. I can't speak to whether or not it is a faithful adaptation. I've seen two other of the Little Women adaptations, so I think I'm only missing the one from the late 40s because I've seen the 94 and the 2019 version. And yeah, I think it's fine. You know, if you love the story of Little Women, I will assume this will work for you pretty okay. I do think Mm -hmm. Catherine Hepburn is the standout. She's a lot of fun in this role. I think the other actresses are fine, but it's not remarkable. I don't think any of the other performances are particularly remarkable. Nope. I will say this is because of the underlying material, not because of this adaptation. I never think that the Joe romance storyline works. Mm. I think it's because Louisa May Alcott wrote the ending as a fuck you to the fans. <laughs> like the story is that everyone, because she wrote it in, in serialized form, as yeah. people often did in the time. The Joe and Lori shippers of the day all wanted Joe and Lori to get together and they were writing her letters to try to get them together. And Louisa May Alcott, who didn't want Joe to end up with anyone, introduced this professor character for her to end up with because she wanted to be like, she's not going to get together with Lori. <laughs> And so then I just feel like the whole thing doesn't track because you can kind of understand her reasons for not wanting to be with Lori until all of a sudden she wants to be with this other guy. And it's like, I don't really know what's going on here. Have you seen the 94 adaptation? No. I think it does work in that adaptation. I think they do a good job of making it work. I will say, like, that's the only one I like. It's the only one that I find affects me emotionally. But I think they do a good job of explaining that the professor is a match for her mind and is a good foil to her. And so you understand why they might be a better match than than her and Lori. But yeah, I, I don't know in this one. It's just like he shows up and you're like, cool. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I didn't have like a lot of strong feelings about it. I thought it was, oh, I did write. <laughs> There's a scene early on when Amy is in school and she's getting punished and they've made her wear a sign that says, I am ashamed of myself and I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> That's pretty fun. 
I loved that. And I loved that Joe uses Christopher Columbus as an expletive all throughout and yeah. everyone is scandalized. <laughs> like, stop that she saying says that. This. Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbus. <laughs> I think my only other note in this is, and I mean, we'll talk about the 2019 version when we get to that year because it was nominated. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't think there are any cats in the 2019 version, and it's a misstep in my book. That's a real loss, yeah. So the 1994 version, rotten with cats. There's a scene in that version where all the little women are in bed, and the bed is just covered in cats. And you're like, this is a feminist tract. I love this. And there are some kittens in this one. So like, you know, points for that. Joe brings the kittens to Lori because he's ill and she wants him to feel better. And when she's doing it, she says, I know boys don't like kittens. And I'm like... Boys don't like kittens. Lori likes everybody the likes kittens. He's happy. Yeah. So that's little women. I don't know. That's little women. It's fine. And it's young Catherine Hepburn, so that's always fun. It's a very early film role for her. Yeah. And she's great. She's Catherine yeah. Hepburn. Okay. Should we move on to She Done Him Wrong? Yeah. What's She Done Him Wrong about? She Done Him Wrong is about this woman in 1890s New York City who sort of rolls with the underworld crowd. Her ex-boyfriend, who was the person keeping her safe in this whole world, has gone to prison. So she has now aligned herself with a guy who runs a bar. And the two of them are like kind of in a relationship, but also she's constantly seducing other men pretty much inside of him. It's a very interesting dynamic the two of them have. And he, meanwhile, is up to some no good criminal stuff that she doesn't really know about. Even though she feels like someone who would. That's a little bit of a misstep to me. But anyway, she's going about her day being real sassy, sexy Mae West and like saying lines at people and Mm -hmm. her vibe and occasionally performing musical numbers. And then meanwhile, we have little baby face Cary Grant who works at a mission nearby and he keeps coming around because he's like trying to help out in the community and wants to make sure all the people who are around are doing okay and he's poking his nose in and Mae West's character is really interested in him because when she tries to hit on him he is he resists her he resists her which no man does and this is the movie where she says why don't you come up sometime and see me the famous line that she says to him because she always invites people up to her room to you know do what you would imagine you would do with Mae West up in her room. And the plot goes along. Her ex-boyfriend breaks out of prison. The guy that she's currently dating is running this weird scheme with these other people that involves prostitution and sending off these unwitting women who need help. It's like a human trafficking The Barbary Coast, I think is what they say. They're doing human trafficking. Yeah. And then at the very end, it turns out that Cary Grant does not run a mission. He's actually an undercover cop who's investigating the whole thing. Named the Hawk. (laughs) Named the Hawk, which is cool as hell. And he puts all of them in jail. And just as Mae West thinks that he's going to arrest her, the two of them get into a car and it turns out he's in love with her and he proposes. Yeah. Kind of out of nowhere. But they're going to be happy together, I guess. (laughs) And so they ride off into the sunset. That's the whole movie. It's only like 67 minutes, so it's a whirlwind. Yeah. It's a quick watch. Yeah. What'd you think? I mean, it's 67 minutes. It was not hard to sit through. (laughs) No, man. Uh, Mae West is doing her Mae West thing. Have you seen any Mae West? Have you seen a parody of Mae West? Yep. That's what you get. She's zinging. She's zinging nonstop. Yep. The musical numbers are fine. Mm Mm-hmm. I was surprised getting into the pre-code of it all when I realized, oh, these people are engaging in human trafficking. That's pretty, that's pretty intense. That's some pretty dark stuff. I don't think we're going to see any human trafficking post-code enforcement. Nope. So that was intense. I liked that Cary Grant turned out to be more than he seemed. Yeah, that that was was fun. A fun twist. But yeah, the ending was absolute nonsense. (laughs) That was so crazy. (laughs) I was like... (laughs) I mean, if it had ended with a kiss or something, maybe. But for him to pull out a ring for her, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. This is total nonsense. It was it was a fun time for the most part, though. I mean, Mae West is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And Cary Grant, what a cutie. I know Mae West claims that she discovered Cary Grant for this movie, even though I think he was in two movies beforehand. Yeah. But it's nice that she wants to claim him because he's delightful he looked like a little cop i couldn't understand his uniform because it looked like a cop uniform but then they were telling me he ran a mission and then he turned out to be a cop after all (laughs) 
I don't know what people who run missions wear, to be honest. No. I don't know if there's a mission uniform. I guess there is in this. But it was still sort of an interesting cast of characters. I loved the scene when there's a scene where she goes to the prison because she is being told that the ex-boyfriend who thinks that she's out there being faithful to him, which it's like none of these people have ever met her character before, <laughs> yeah. but he, she needs to go visit him because he's getting, he's like cooped up in jail and he wants to make sure that she still loves him and is waiting for him when he gets out. So she goes to the prison and she's passing by all these jail cells and everyone who's in the jail cells knows her. They're all like friends from back in the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's walking along. Every one of them is like, hey, how you doing? Oh, how's it going, Lou? <laughs> it's great. Yeah. The costumes looked good. Yep. Liked the costumes. They spent so much time on these musical numbers in such a short movie that I was just sort of like, what are we doing here? She would just stop for a musical interlude like four times in the movie. (laughs) And they were not short. I was fascinated by that. Oh, I did like, she has this guy named Spider who's her right-hand man who does Mm. all the stuff she needs her to do. And Spider was cool. And then at one point, the woman who's part of the human trafficking ring, she's running it, has a conflict with... Lou and Lou ends up accidentally stabbing her so she has this body and first of all there's a hilarious moment where people come in and she <laughs> pretends she's brushing the dead woman's yeah. hair which was great I did like but that. then I also will say she just sort of sends spider into her room and like no questions asked he's like oh gotta get rid of this dead body <laughs> it really resolves her. itself yeah. spider's the best man yeah I wish I had a spider I'd hire spider no no questions asked he's a problem solver he really is But yeah, them getting married at the end was wild as hell. It was absolute nonsense. So that's she done him wrong. Yeah. Okay. Up next, we have one of our non-nominees, Duck Soup, which is a Marx Brothers comedy film. Indeed it is. Also, super short. This one's in the 60 minutes as well. It's true. So the sort of framework of this film is it takes place in a fictional country called Fredonia. And early in the film, they decide that the leadership of Fredonia is not doing a good job. There's a wealthy benefactor who basically funds the government. And she's Mm -hmm. like, I will not keep giving you funding unless you appoint Rufus T. Firefly to be the (laughs) new head of Fredonia. And this is Groucho Marx. Mm -hmm. And so they do that. And the neighboring country of Sylvania... They had hoped to like put a puppet in charge of Fredonia, I guess, instead of Groucho or the ambassador yeah. wants to marry the wealthy woman so they can sort of run Fredonia. So there's this spy plot where they're getting two guys to try to spy on Groucho and that's Harpo and Chico. <laughs> if you're hiring spies, <laughs> Marx Brothers are always the best option. Yeah. And, you know, Groucho is a, a or Rufus is a, a temperamental guy. He gets into mm-hmm. conflict with the ambassador. This leads them into a war because he continuously insults the ambassador. And so then the latter part of the movie is them at war. There's a bit where Chico and Harpo as as the spies try to steal the war plans. And then, yeah, the final act is the war. There's a fourth Marx brother, of course, in this film, Zeppo. He is Groucho's secretary. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's sort of the framework of the movie. How did you feel about duck soup well i guess we should say i had never seen a marx brothers movie before. neither had i and what an experience it was <laughs> this is a wild freaking time i mean i think for the first 15 minutes of it i was trying to wrap my mind around what was even happening my first note was this movie is chaos it was so chaotic because as soon as they institute rufus t firefly you're like okay Let's see what this is all about. And he walks into this scene that is like his coronation. And the first words out of his mouth are like six one-liners in a row insulting the woman who has put him in with no pauses in between, no reactions, just (laughs) rapid fire saying a bunch of jokes at her expense to her face. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, what's going on? (laughs) Is this a stand-up routine? Is that before or after they break out into song? It's after, right? I, it's around the same time. Because, yes, then they break into song and you're like, I'm sorry, it's a musical too? <laughs> this is so crazy. Why are we singing? What's going on? I don't know. So, yeah, the musical thing happens. Then Groucho Marx being Groucho Marx happens. And you're like, this is a pretty wild time. I did feel like when it starts and you don't know anything about him or what it's going to be like, I was initially like, this is kind of exhausting. <laughs> 
is so much all at once. This is a lot. I did feel like once we got into the hijinky set pieces, mm-hmm. especially the ones with Harpo and Chico and all the stuff going on with that, there are tons of enjoyable scenes in this. I love the stuff with Harpo and Chico and that other guy who runs the cart and them taking his hat and switching all the hats. Yeah. And, you know, that stuff's delightful. The scene when they've broken into the house where Groucho is staying and then the two of them are pretending to be in a mirror is one of the best bits of physical comedy I've ever seen in my life. And it lasts for like three whole minutes or something of them being mirrors with each other. And you're like, this is amazing. I can't believe this is happening. The plot of it is like insane. It's, Mm -hmm. I feel like they're trying to do some satire stuff and occasionally you're like, okay, that's like a little bit of a pointed comment about government or democracy or whatever. Especially at the end when they're singing the song about going to war and they're also excited to go to war. I feel like it kind of comes together, but for the most part, it could have just been no plot at all all hijinks all the time and it would have had basically the same effect (laughs) i think so it was a surprise to me i'm glad i've now watched a marx brothers movie yeah i had also never seen a marx brothers movie before and had the same experience when groucho comes on and all he does is zing that's his thing harpo and chico are sort of a pair chico is italian harpo is mute like a pen and Mm -hmm. teller situation which i also didn't know they sort of do prop comedy a little bit more particularly harpo and then zeppo is just a guy yeah this was zeppo's last movie with them but it is interesting how different from them he is he's much younger and he sort of feels like just a guy (laughs) and you're like is he just the straight man part of your group what's that all about i guess so it's interesting because people do talk about this as this great satire and i don't think it is I agree with you. There are elements where you can see particular lines that are really satirical, but I think it really is just a structure for them to string along bits. And then also like Groucho's zings are jokes around war. So Mm -hmm. like all of the, the war terms he can zing about. I was reading an article in The Guardian and they said about this movie, duck soup is too explosively nonsensical to let itself succumb to the discipline of satire. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what's happening. Exactly. It's so rapid fire that some of the jokes and bits and gags are going to work for you. And then some of them aren't. <laughs> so, But it's fine because that last gag was, that's like eight gags ago. Right. <laughs> it's moving. It's moving. So I totally agree with you. The, the mirror bit and the bit where they're all dressed as Groucho, that's all great. Yep. There's like a running gag where Harpo's constantly cutting things that I found I didn't understand strange. what was going on I with that. Get it. Harpo's I didn't get thing it. is that he, he cuts stuff. He cut stuff in half, I guess. I don't know what was going on there. There's a tattoo bit with Harpo that was pretty funny until like a dog comes out of one of his tattoos, which was like an interesting special effect. That was but really I was like, wild. Yeah. I was like, this is upsetting. I don't like <laughs> Yeah. There are some memorable gags. There's some memorable lines. I'll say, I don't know if this is from this originally, but if it is, that's awesome. They say, who are you going to believe? Me or your own eyes? And I was like, oh, that's like a thing. That's a classic line. (laughs) Did that come from this? And yeah, there were occasional funny lines about war. There's a part where they're like, we must do whatever we can to avoid going to war. It would mean a prohibitive increase in our taxes. (laughs) You're like... Okay, yeah. And then when they do their final musical number about the war, they're singing All God's Children Got Guns, which is pretty great. I will say, I almost forgot that it was a musical before that, because I feel like they sing at the There's like two songs. And then they sing at the end, and you're like, whoa, (laughs) forgot about that. The other gag I did end up liking was the the sidecar gag, where Groucho's trying to get somewhere, and Harpo or Chico rolls up in a motorbike with a sidecar, and twice... The motorbike leaves and the sidecar stays. And then Groucho's like, I figured this out. So he gets on the motorbike and Harpo gets in the sidecar and then the sidecar drives away and the motorbike stays. And I was like, solid rule of three. Yag. I appreciate that. But yeah, it's 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 chaos. It's all gags. I mean, it's like vaudevillian, I guess. You just go there and they're going to do goofy shit and they're going to say funny shit. Don't show up expecting any of like any character stuff to work or make any sense. Nope. You will not understand why they appointed Rufus T. Firefly, but I think you need to not worry about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, they did because the woman who has the yeah, money like, is really why, in charge why? of the country. She loves him. Why? But why? Who knows? He only insults her. It's fascinating. <laughs> right. It's really bizarre movie. Yeah. Oh, at the end when the war happens, I loved that Groucho kept changing into different war uniforms Mm -hmm. like different eras at different countries of uniform just with no explanation that was pretty fun yeah 
There's fun bits, but I don't really understand what it is as a movie. It's a lot. Yeah. Marx Brothers, baby. Yep. But it inspired a lot of comedy afterwards. So for sure. Huge cultural impact. And again, it's like 60 some minutes. You could watch it. Yeah. Do a double feature with She Done Him Wrong. Let's talk about A Farewell to Arms. Okay. A Farewell to Arms is, as we said, an adaptation of an Ernest Hemingway novel. Have you read this novel? I have not. I have not read it either. I read sort of different things about whether or not it was a good adaptation. I think largely people said it's kind of not. They really focus in on a love story between a nurse and a soldier who meet at a hospital in Italy. And they have an encounter, which I would like to talk about later and and characterize this encounter. But they have an encounter and then they are in love and he has to go back to the front. And while he's away, she discovers she's pregnant. So she leaves the hospital and goes to Switzerland and she's writing him to let him know, you know, where she is and that she's going to have this baby and yada, yada, yada. But the soldier's Italian doctor friend has decided that like, he doesn't need this relationship. Like he's he's got to have fun. He's been trying to keep them apart the yeah. whole time. He has. So he's been diverting her letters. So Gary Cooper, who's playing the soldier, goes back to try to find her and her nurse friends won't tell him where she is. He eventually puts a notice in the paper hoping she'll see it, but I think she doesn't. But when he puts the notice in, the Italian doctor friend is like, okay. I feel bad. He's clearly really in love with her. I'll tell yeah. him where she is. And so he tells her she's up in Switzerland. Meanwhile, she gets all of her, the letters she sent to Gary Cooper back and has a, a reaction to it. She faints. And this causes her to miscarry and also to die. Yeah. Maybe do the miscarriage. <laughs> not, not quite sure medically what has happened. But around that same time, Gary Cooper is able to find her and they say their goodbyes. And it is a tragic love story. I would, I I mean, I think we can get into how we feel about it, but I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about their initial really weird encounter that I think is a rape. Yeah. So maybe let's start there. I don't know. So they meet while they're out on the town and they go back to this secluded area and he kisses her and she slaps him. And then she's like, oh, I'm sorry. And then he seems to pretty forcibly have sex with her. They fade down and they fade back up and she's crying. And he's like, if I had known you were a virgin, I wouldn't have done that. Which is like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then after that, she has a scene with another one of the nurses where she talks herself into the idea that they are in love. Like that is the only reason that could have happened. Yep. And I'm like, this is bad (laughs) well and it starts so weird too because him kissing her and her slapping him and then immediately with nothing in between she's like changes her mind and apologizes to him and you're like what is this (laughs) what is all of this saying why is anyone acting the way that they're acting it's so weird right but it plays very like she'll say no but it, yeah. but she wants it. I mean, that's rape culture, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's it's real. It's real. It's real bad. Uh huh. And yeah, when they fade up and she's visibly got tears streaming from her eyes, it's pretty harrowing. So so that's bad. It's a real problem with a farewell to arms. Uh-huh. I will say, like I said when we were getting into our debate, and again, I had a real hard time with this and Henry VIII because I think the Henry VIII movie is also pretty misogynistic for sure i did like the way this movie was shot there's some really beautiful shots in this film but i also don't understand really what happens to her at the end it's so weird so i knew this was tragic and i think i knew that she was going to be the one that dies but if i had to guess why i would have assumed it had something to do with the war i guess (laughs) and then the fact that the reason she dies is because of the stress of getting her letters returned. I just couldn't figure out what in the world was happening. Because, yeah, she gets all the letters back. She faints. She goes into early labor, I guess. And then they have to put her in surgery. And she must die from complications of the surgery. Yeah. But she lives for a while after. It's not like she dies while it's happening. He gets there. The doctors have a moment with her where they know and she knows that she's going to die. And she's like, you're not going to tell him that I'm going to die, right? And they're like, no, no. And then she has a scene with him 
where she doesn't want to tell him that she's going to die, but then it becomes clear that she's going to die and they have their farewell moment. And you're just sort of like, I don't understand why any of this has happened or how what's what's going on here and why was his friend so desperate to keep him apart and then why did he change his mind so quickly when he saw his note in the paper all of it's very strange i did like that his friend rinaldi calls him baby all the time yeah (laughs) they're constantly telling each other i love you it's sweet i don't know it's just a romance it's super melodramatic and i was bored through a lot of it okay (laughs) that's a farewell to arms you guys i don't know yeah i mean i maybe i need to read the book so especially since we can't get any real answer about if it's a faithful adaptation or not yeah who's to say if i would like that more i don't know but it was whatever it was fun to see really young gary cooper that was interesting him more middle-aged yeah very handsome handsome young man sure super tall He's so tall. I was like, is this, how tiny is this girl? Because Gary Cooper looks two feet taller than her. It's crazy. He's like 6'3 or something and she's like five feet tall. So he looms over, which honestly makes the rape scarier. He's a giant man. Yep. Yep. Oh, there were also, in a few of these movies, there are awkward mid-scene cuts. The editing is not perfect in all of them. And this is one of the ones that had just weird, they're like in the middle of talking to each other and then there would be a clear cut and you're like, oh, I don't know about this. Okay. But that's the Farewell to Arms. Yeah. Shall we talk about the winner? Yeah, let's talk about Cavalcade. So Cavalcade is about this wealthy family in England. It starts on New Year's Eve of 1899 turning into 1900. Mm-hmm. The dawn of a new century. Exciting. Very exciting. And then we just sort of follow them through the main events in England's history over the next 33 years, right up to the time when the movie comes out. So in the beginning, everyone is really stressed because the husband of the family and also the butler of the family, Mm -hmm. something like that, are both about to have to go off to fight in the Boer War. And if you don't know about the Boer War, it was bad. (laughs) England did all sorts of bad stuff. It's sort of one of the earliest times when even people in England became less certain that their empire building was good. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) They were fighting the Dutch in South Africa is what was happening there. Yep. But this movie does not portray that in any sort of critical way. They just sort of zoom right by when the Boer War ends and they win. Everyone's very delighted. And then we keep it moving. Yes. The husband and the butler both come back. Yes. Then we have times moving forward. The, their sons grow up. One of them gets married to his childhood friend who was a girl. And the two of them are on their honeymoon and they're talking about how it's going to be the greatest time of their lives. And then it turns out they're on the Titanic. Oh, no. Oh, no. Son one, dead. Then time keeps moving. We get to World War One. Son two, who has been raised to, you know, glorify soldiers and fighting in war and was super excited about his dad being in the Boer War, is also really excited about going to fight in World War One, And he gets to do it he goes off he's fighting world war one he has this romance with another girl that he knew as a child over the course of it when he's home on leave and then right when the war is over exciting times england is celebrating the mother gets news that that son has also died in the war bummer for them all around and Mm -hmm. then they keep growing older and the it's basically a on, montage from that point to 33. Yeah, it's weird. Then it ends on New Year's Eve of 32 turning to 33. And it's just her and her husband looking back on their time as rich people in England. <laughs> and how times have changed. That's Life sure has been an adventure. Yeah. Thoughts? I hated these people. They were awful. So much. I thought and wrote fuck britain in my notes so many times <laughs> well the thing is right like you said so it starts off with the boer war and my first note is it's hard to sympathize with these people about the boer war because they're yep. people committing atrocities yep. against other people both of whom should not be in the place that they're in i know you're like <laughs> we don't sympathize with either of you right why are you both here 
And like, you know that the outcome of all of this is going to be the British appeasing the Dutch by installing apartheid for 50 plus years. Well, plus they put hundreds of thousands of people into concentration camps and tens of thousands of them died. And it was mostly just women and children of the Boers. And it was like, oh, where do we think Germany got the idea? assholes. <laughs> well, as I was reading, to be fair, like I don't know much about the details of the Boer War, that because of displacement, a lot of Africans ended up in concentration camps yes, too. Yes, a bunch of them died too. And the British started to improve the concentration camps for the Boers and did the improvements in the African camps afterwards. <laughs> yeah. They're fuckers. Fuck yeah. Britain. <laughs> so the movie, I mean, I think the movie is ultimately kind of anti-war but it's really not super critical about this and so like yes we come in and i'm like it's very hard to sympathize with any of these people there's a subplot with the servants where after they come back from the war the butler has bought a bar and they move out of the house and start to run this bar he becomes an alcoholic and and kind of a dissolute and then he's killed by a horse (laughs) horse death death. He gets run over by a horse in a carriage. He like stumbles drunk out into a lane and there's like a, yeah. a fire engine horse and carriage that just <laughs> runs him right over. And so he dies. But yeah, I feel like the overall message of this movie is partially like war is bad, which I agree with. But then yeah. it's also partially like, weren't things better in the good old days before the poor thought they could marry their betters and people weren't openly gay? So there's like a couple things that happened. The younger son, the woman he ends up dating is the daughter of the servant. So she has become a, a famous dancer. They fall in love. He has proposed to her and the former servant comes to talk to the mother of the wealthy family to be like, our kids want to get married. This is before they know he's died in the war, obviously. And the woman is like, how dare you? How dare you think you could marry into this family? Don't you know your place? And then they That's find not really what she says, but that's clearly the implication. That's the vibe, yeah. And then in the montage after the war, there it really is this unfolding of events through the Roaring Twenties and it's all intercut like all these things are bad and so one of the things that is bad is vice orgies are increasing and then they show what is clearly a pair of lesbians and a pair of gay men and it's like oh this is also the bad thing that's happening right no no that's good but also the way that they portrayed them was fucking hilarious i I did love that it's it's two women holding hands and you're like (laughs) whoa whoa scandal and then you show two men and one of them gives the other one a bracelet yeah (laughs) I did love that portrayal, to be fair, but the context of it was bad. Yeah, but also it was like, these seem like the loveliest people. How are we not encouraging this? This is delightful. So that sort of conflation of like, all this change is negative, and if only we could go back to the time before when everyone knew their place and everything was proper, and you're like, this is disgusting. It is disgusting, and it's disgusting when the rich people say it, but the more insidious gross stuff is how often the servants are saying it. The wife servant who has the husband who becomes an alcoholic and it's like clearly should never have tried to not be a butler, which is its own gross thing. Mm -hmm. But she keeps saying like, things were so much better for us when we were in the service. I loved when we were in the service. And you're like, what the shit? Life is so unnerving for a (laughs) servant servant who's not not serving. serving. That is what they're saying, unironically. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah, it's bad. I also think like throughout this movie, you just don't really, probably because they're cycling through so many events, you don't get the reactions you want to the events that happen. Like when the son and the daughter die on the Titanic, the next scene, they don't mention it for a long time. And you're like, have they not learned that they died yet? Or or, like, what's going on? And then it is mentioned, but you're like, oh. Okay. Also, that reveal is sort of like a comedy beat. If they walk it's away, such a comedy beat because they're like, things are going to be so amazing for us, and then they just show that the ship says Titanic, and womp womp. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, this is much less fun, Forrest Gump. Yes, it is the actual conservative Forrest Gump. It is yeah. what people complain Forrest Gump is. I didn't like it. I didn't like these people. No, they were horrible. I hated them. It's not good. Mm-mm. I think it's bad. I think the message is bad. I did write, how come for every major war in history, everybody thought it would only last a couple of months? There is always yeah. a scene in everything about every major war beforehand where people are like, don't worry. Was this the movie? There was at least one movie where the title card referred to the Great War. And I was like, oh, boy, you guys don't know what's coming. There's going to be a second one of these. 
There's if you thought the first 33 part. years of this century were a cavalcade, wait till you get to the bad 67. Really? Yep. It only gets worse from here, folks. The back 67 are going to be wild. I don't like it. I understand why people say that it is one of the worst Best Picture winners. It's not good. Yeah. Everything bad you've heard about Forrest Gump is Cavalcade. Is actually true about Cavalcade. (laughs) Okay. So those are our losers. Unless we have anything else to say about any of those films. Yep. I don't think I I do. I think we're good. I think we should have some conclusory thoughts. Yeah, we're not going to do our full usual conclusion. We'll get to that in the mm-hmm. second episode. But we have a couple of things we want to talk about. Yeah, as we did in 1939. Let's talk about a best of the worst and a worst of the worst. Which do you want to do first? Let's do worst of the worst first. Let's start start negative and positive. positive. Love that. What's your worst of the worst? I think I'm going to go with Cavalcade. <laughs> Same Z's. Hated it. <laughs> Two thumbs down. Hated it. Yeah. For all the reasons we just discussed, I don't know how much more there is to say, but. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. Nah. It's just the all the wrong. It's like exactly the wrong perspective. All the people mm-hmm. we don't want to hear from. <laughs> yep. Okay. What do you think the best of the worst is? What I'm so torn about because. I think these are all, they all have faults, mm-hmm. each of these movies. Some of them, it's like, they work fine as a piece, but I didn't love it that much. And some of yeah. them are like things that I I enjoyed certain parts of them a lot and then really didn't enjoy other parts. Yeah. So it's hard to pick. Do you have an instinct for what your best of the worst is? I, I did like Smiling Through. And the thing that really sticks out in my mind is, again, we have watched so many movies where the movie just says, these people are in love. And you're mm-hmm. like, are they though? But are they, though? Why are you so yeah. bad at writing romance? People are so bad at writing romance. Watch Smiling Through. I think they establish their romance perfectly, and it doesn't take that long. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right about that. I think I was just so mad about the end that I, the, I left the, it with, like, not a great taste of really misses the mark, and the uncle is a deeply irrational person. Although, to be fair, sometimes people are deeply irrational. You know, that's true. If the ending had been what we described... I'm not. I'm still not sure. It would have beaten Lady for a day in my mind, but it, it would have been a more solid movie, for yeah. sure. I don't know. I guess that's fine. I thought, yeah, Duck Soup had such highs and lows. It didn't make any sense to me as a movie, but there were some great parts. It was, it was an overwhelming watch. It was Duck Soup. so overwhelming. I, it truly took so long for me to just. It get my mind to go, okay, this is what this is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you have to just be ready for this to be what it is. She done him wrong. I liked a lot of parts of it, but and that was another one where the end was fully insane. And you were like, it's like they ran out of time making it. Like, they wanted yeah. to make a 90-minute movie, and then instead they made a 65-minute movie, and so the end was one scene, and it didn't make any sense. Little Women, I thought, was well executed, but the story is so whatever. Mm-hmm. That you're just like, all right, maybe it is smiling through. Smiling through, you're the best of the worst. Way to go. <laughs> well done. Okay, so what are we talking about next time? Still this. We have six more movies to discuss. you got to come back and find out about seeds one through six. Top of the tops here. It's all the good stuff. The winners. Mm-hmm. Pretty exciting. Yeah. In the meantime, if you have comments, questions, concerns, you can reach out to us at OscarsWrongPod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Letterboxd at OscarsWrongPod, and we have a website, OscarsWrongPod.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, tell a friend, leave us a review, and subscribe. New episodes come out every other Friday at 6 o'clock Eastern, wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.